Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. Today, we're talking about Minute 47, which begins with Jane arguing with Coulson and ends with Jane bemoaning her lost research. Joining us on the show today is, once again, as we'll have in all this week, we have Matt Carroll, one of the two co-hosts of the MCU cast, which recently won the People's Choice Award for TV and Film, and founder of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Matt, we got to hear about you starting podcasting. What got you into Marvel? Because you were a Marvel kid way before you started podcasting, right? Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I liked comics in general when I was a kid. I loved DC and Marvel. But uh, I was always a poor kid, so it's it's always funny. People always talk about the different like arcs. And I was just the kid who bought the 50 cent comics, whatever I could get. So like, I never bought any actual arcs. Like I never finished an arc. I was always just reading like a random Spider-Man comic from the middle of a run. And like, if I could find three in a row, it'd be awesome. And I'd be like, okay, I kind of know what's going on. And then I'd never find any more because I only bought the 50 cent comic book bin. Um, but I just, I loved it. Makes sense. Well, we'll get to hear a lot awesome. more of your thoughts on this right after this break. Do you want to jump into the conversations with us about Thor and the minutes that we're discussing this week? We have a growing group of Marvel fans just waiting to chat with you over in our Discord server. Head to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on the Discord link. It's that easy. So yesterday we were talking about how like this this tension between what Coulson is doing and he's very much like that, you know, this scene is kind of making me think of like walk softly and carry a big stick. You know, he's the walk softly. He's trying so hard to be friendly while everyone else is carrying the big stick. And we get that wonderful moment of, you know, Jane coming up there. He's talking softly to her. But the minute she starts to come close to the truck, you know, big agent man in sunglasses is holding her back. It's very much kind of your distraction point person, right? Like you need one of those people, like even on, on film sets, they'll have a person who can be the one who handles like if there's an angry neighbor who comes out and starts screaming at them, there's a person who will go and talk to them and just try calming them down and kind of kind of alleviate the situation while everybody else keeps working. And, and that's very much Colson here. He's like, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's, you know, you know, he's kind of just like working her through it. And she's not actively going and stopping all the people at this point. Well, she will in a moment. But, you know, he's kind of that person who's kind of like pulling her attention away from so much of the other things. Did a agent hold her back? Or I thought Eric held her back. Well, the agent kind of like turns towards her in kind of a menacing way as she gets close to the van. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, she'll, she'll, yeah, right. She'll, she'll actively go, uh, stop an agent or try to stop an agent at the, at the van. Oh, I see. Outside. I see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that's the thing is when she gets there, Eric is the one holding her back, which I find really interesting because it's like Eric knows more about shield than she does. That's what we know so far, just based on his activity. Exactly. And like Eric's really trying to keep her from doing something that would get herself in more trouble than she wants. And, and I like her, her reaction of by appropriate, do you mean steal? Because again, there's something so, Coulson clearly means well, and he thinks that he'll later say, we're the good guys. But to me, there's something so bureaucratic about attempting to put this nice language on just taking their stuff, you know? It's like, oh, don't worry, we're going to give you a check. Don't worry, you can make it again. Like, everything about this is kind of the government-speak bureaucratic, like, we're going to put this terrible thing we're doing, but in nice language. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, and it's the government talk also, right? I mean, that's that's how they say things like, oh, we're just appropriating these things, you know, uh, you know, and I don't think that they necessarily, uh, you know, have any permission. You know, they're not like a police department who needs to uh, kind of show the right paperwork before they can enter a place. They just kind of can come in and take everything that they need and uh, call it official government work. And and that's the frustrating thing here. And, and, you know, Jane calls them out. It's like, you know, my constitutional rights and all this sort of thing. But again, it's like, where is that line? And that's that's what's interesting for me about this particular scene is the way that it plays out with, uh, you know, with our characters and potential rights versus like what S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing. And this very much feels kind of like what we would start seeing more in uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And, I, and him saying that, like, I'm sorry, Miss Foster, we're the good guys. He says it with such earnestness. And I'd, I'd really believe he believes that. But also you're you are trampling on her rights and like taking her things you're stealing from her. Um, and that's it's it's such a great moment. And I can't I, his character, Coulson, who I love, is like inextricably linked to his character from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which goes on. And I think like in that series, he sort of becomes a little more jaded in understanding of like sort of the balance of like how how their how their actions affect other people and stuff and how they are wielding a lot of power. But this young Coulson, this young, naive Coulson, um, he's just so <laughs> – uh, he, he's just so like, oh no, I'm fully convicted that we're the good guys here. One thing I love in that is when he says at the end, thank you for cooperation. Mm-hmm. They didn't cooperate in the slightest. Not at all. Not like, at all. But it, it, you're right. It's that like he just is, he knows that he's doing right. And so he assumes that everyone around him is going to feel the same thing. And so he just, you know, he kind of was like, yeah, I'm, I told you we're the good guys. That should be all you need to know. And, and it's funny because I don't think that, I think you're right. He believes it. This isn't intentional, but it makes the whole thing so much more menacing. For sure. Because they're not even willing to acknowledge how screwed up what they're doing is from their perspective. It's they're like, no, of course, this is what you should want us to do. Right. Right. Or even answer the charge. Right. Like cause right. he's like, you're stealing my things, which the answer is. The, the correct answer would be like, well, we'll get them back to you or uh, here's why we're stealing them. And he's like, just understand we're the good guys. That should be enough, right? Like you don't need any more information. You don't need us to actually address the thing you're saying. We're just the good guys. And like that's enough for Coulson. And I think he truly – he's a true believer. But like that's not enough for Jane at all, I completely understandably. For anyone, really. And that's that's that line that I think for people is a difficult line to cross when the government says, well, thank you for your cooperation. We believe we're doing this and it's all the right thing. But there is still this sense of violating somebody's rights with it, because from their perspective, you are you're just walking in, taking their stuff without asking, without talking about it first. Uh, it's it's just one of those things that just it feels very wrong as we're uh, as it's happening to you. Well, it's the forever balance that you have to fight f- between like uh, the collective good and the personal good, you know, and finding a government system that does that. And I think clearly S.H.I.E.L.D. crosses that line. But then you think about the kind of threats they have to deal with and the things that they're actually concerned with protecting the earth. Like, yeah, maybe it's worth it. Is it worth it? Like, it's that security state thing, man. It's tough. We're not going to go into this, but I, I can't watch this without thinking about other situations where government's telling people to limit their individual rights for the collective health and safety of all. And I might be on the government <laughs> side in that situation. Yeah. Where yeah. I never Absolutely. would have been while watching this. Um, the other thing I think, though, that, that that's interesting is that 
one thing I feel is very emblematic of later MCU movies is they find some kind of like mystery or scientific thing that they don't quite understand. So they try to bring in the experts. And to me, this is interesting here is that they're not yet at that point. You know, they're not at the point yet of our scientists are trying to figure this out. Let's bring Jane along and maybe let her volunteer, maybe tell her she's volunteering, but you know, bring her into the conversation here. They just want her stuff and they're not even acknowledging like either her or Eric might have interesting things to contribute. Well, that's an interesting perspective because why wouldn't they? I mean, if, if Jane has been studying this and they know that she has actually been studying this, they're taking her information without any understanding of what's in it and how to read it. Why aren't they bringing them into the fold here? And that's, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, a very good question that I think is worth asking. Mm hmm. And and by the end of this story uh, and in the future, we know that Eric is brought in to work with S.H.I.E.L.D. by the time of Avengers. So it's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I guess it's just they don't trust her or don't think they can trust her for whatever reason. Uh, she hasn't passed whatever background check they probably checked on her and were like, nope, she's too whatever. She's too not going to be down with the program that we need her to be down with. Well, and one other way, I think you're very right about that. I think another way to look at it is, and granted, we don't find this out for many years, and I, I can't imagine the writers at this point knew it, but it fits, is we have to remember that a lot of these people are Hydra agents. Like, this That's is, true. we're watching a point in time at which Hydra had, according to what we learned in Winter Soldier and beyond that, thoroughly infiltrated shield so mm -hmm. i, I kind of like the idea that that colson still is in that cooperation mode where some of the others who are working for him are like yeah sure boss you take turk take nice but we're just going to do what we need to do because that might makes right yep yeah yeah well and it makes that line even more like tragic slash ironic that he says trust me we're the good guys because half <laughs> of you aren't you know like yeah clearly <laughs> half of you by the time of winter soldier is our, our hydra agents which I don't know. I wouldn't put it past them to have at least have had that as a plan for the future mm. because, I mean, that, that's such a big moment for the MCU. It's a big moment for the character of Cap. And um, yeah, but, but that is a few years later than this. So very possible not. But it had happened in the comics already. Yeah, sure. Right. So so it, certainly it's a thing that they probably were you know, stewing over. And certainly even before Winter Soldier, even in Avengers, part of what you realize is that Fury – is much more cynical and jaded than even someone like Coulson, you know? And so that alone might be not even quite the Hydra connection, but just that, that Coulson might be like, okay, boss, don't worry. I'll convince them that we're all in the up and up. And Fury's like, sure, if you want to, but just get the stuff is what I care about. So yeah, that, that, that tension definitely is there from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. I, I do. Now I'm really stuck on this idea that through all of this, and again, I know it was basically probably because, you know, Natalie Portman, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, as far as like the contracts they had, the availability they had and everything. But it really like, it strikes me funny now, just in context of the story, that of the two that they asked to kind of come on board and help them at the end of the film, it's Eric, not Jane, because Jane seems the one who is so much more invested in this stuff. And Eric, he's one, as we just saw, he knows who S.H.I.E.L.D. is and is afraid of them. And two, He's the the kind of the one who's like back, you know, I'm the professor. I, I'm kind of older and wiser. I'm not just going to jump into anything crazy. And so in context of the story, I feel like, gosh, Jane really is the person that they should be asking at the end of the film to come on board. Well, my understanding is, Matt, you might know this better than I, but that 
uh, Natalie Portman, you know, her acting was not well received in the prequels movies and that she as an actress like had really worked against kind of being typecast, you know, as the the sci-fi action-y kind of heroine. And she'd done a lot of different kind of things between the Star Wars movies and this, and that she was, she liked the role of Jane, but that she was hesitant to kind of get too involved with the MCU because she didn't want it to be yet another Star Wars where like it, be, you know, she was just part of this huge thing for years and years of her career. And so I, I'm, I'm just guessing there, but I wonder if that's part of it is that uh, Skarsgård was much more willing to be the person who comes back for a few minutes in movie after movie, where she was like, I'll, I'll star in big movies, but I don't want to be the MCU person. Well, and you have to think of the context of what the MCU was at this point, too. It was not the it was not the thing that had created hit after hit. It was the thing that had created three movies, one of which was not received well. Uh, so it's like this is the third property they're introducing. And so you're like, is is this going to be a hit? Are people going to like this? Uh, do I want to sign a contract where I'm willing to come in for one scene at the end of uh, you know, at the beginning of Avengers or whatever, like it's very, and she was a much bigger star. So she just won her Oscar the year before for black Swan. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. And in fairness, well, we, we have a lot that we love about this movie. I think one of the criticisms that is often raised is that her character is not the best written part of this movie, I think by any means. And I can imagine Natalie Portman being like, okay, I'm excited to work with Branagh. Maybe not to jump way deep into this, Yeah, but we'll have a lot more to say about that in future minutes. I, I think it was part a lot because Brana was directing because she got to play a scientist. Like there were elements to it that she, I, I think, readily signed on for. But I can see her also saying, I, "I'm I'm okay doing this one, but I'm hesitant to jump onto these others where you know I'm a I'm coming in as such a small part of the story." You know, like I mean. I, I think we have seen that Natalie Portman really hasn't been somebody who's been on board to come on for a scene in a movie. Like even when we see her later in Endgame, it's it's uh, you know repeated moments that we've had or scenes that got uh, that didn't end up getting used where we see her. We're not actually seeing Natalie Portman back to film new scenes. Right. Absolutely. That's kind of a good moment of transition because we do get, I think, one of the best funny moments in this whole segment of the movie. And that, again, Natalie's acting the hell out of it. You know, she does this thing of, you know, you can't take this, all this research holds everything and, and this book and you can't just, and she's clearly about to say, you can't just take it. And she means in kind of the more metaphorical sense, but just the, the there's such great subtle comedy of just Coulson makes a subtle look and gesture to someone off stage, so off screen. And then an agent just comes by and grabs the book right out of her hand. Yeah, I love that moment. And and the real humor of it is her say she basically reveals the fact that this book holds everything. She's like, "It's all here in my equipment and this book." And then yoink. Uh, <laughs> it's so you good. You can't just so take great. yoink. <laughs> yeah, then this is something that I have been finding more as I've been re- kind of watching Thor again in this format is I'm finding like there there are so many more comedic bits that just really work well throughout the film and just they they keep hitting one after another whether it's darcy and her moments or just these little things like this that just they they pop up and they just they really work and so uh, you know kudos to brana and the the writers and the actors for carrying all of this off so well yeah and then again as we, we kind of mentioned it before but eric 
is kind of watching. It's only though when she starts to approach the van and the agent turns and looks kind of menacing, that's when he jumps in and it's kind of like, wait, wait, let's, let's calm this down. And I think because it's, you can understand why she's frustrated because he doesn't seem at all upset by what's happened to their scientific material. I think we might know that he might be. He just is more concerned for her. Yeah. But I can imagine for her why it's so frustrating. Which we'll know more in the next minute. <laughs> and we've seen, but we've seen a lot of this from Eric, like from the beginning, like he's always been kind of the one who's been standing and watching, observing when, when Jane and Darcy are arguing in the van about driving into the atmospheric disturbance or when they hit Thor, like all of these moments, Eric is kind of the one who's just standing there, like taking it in and absorbing all of this stuff. Like rarely is he actively saying much until he's trying to like pull them away or something like that. And so that's what I, I find interesting about Eric is he is kind of this, he's been written and performed by Skarsgård as kind of this stoic character who just is the one who's absorbing information and then jumps in as needed. I think that's an actually an interesting element of that character. And so then we get this cut to a shot of the three of them sitting on the roof. And this has to be, I, I know that it came out, well, it came out a good deal after it, but, you know, we know that in the chronology of the world, it's about the same time that Tony is sitting up in a huge donut while he's dejected because he thinks things aren't going well. And the scene to it, both scenes kind of evoke each other to me like that that has to be uh, intentional, right? Entirely possible. I, you know, I, I know um, this is, uh, you know, we're on June 1st right now. Um, uh, 2010 and that and tony was sitting in the donut on um, may 30th so just a few days before so yeah it's very much happening at the same time it's entirely possible that they wanted to have another sort of situation similar to this although they should have just put them on top of donut land if that were the case have <laughs> <laughs> been a little too obvious maybe yeah right right, right. Well, they, did, they did seem like a very similar angle that they're coming at the, like the camera is sort of panning up or dollying up or whatever while it's like aimed upward at it at them and i think that's something similar with the iron man 2 moment yeah uh Andy, you want to tell us a little bit about the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents we see more of this, this, this minute? Oh, yeah. We see uh, you know a good deal of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents uh, wandering through this scene and interacting with them. You know, it's it's hard to tell because, again, things are moving quick. We're on a steady cam that's kind of moving all over the place. The S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are com coming in and out of frame. So I did my best to figure out who we have. The very first person that, uh, that Jane interacts with at the back of the van, I think is Patrick uh, O'Brien Dempsey playing Agent Kale. And I believe uh, he, he's somebody that we'll see later. Again, it happens quick. I think that's who we're seeing there. Uh, if, I, if I'm wrong and you're listening, Patrick, let me know. Uh, this, <laughs> the second agent walks past real quick, and I'm not exactly sure who it is because they cross frame so quickly to put something in the van. Uh, they'll be back later. I still can't tell who they are. The third person who walks by is a woman. Uh, this is one of our female agents. She's got a bun on uh, on the back of her head. Can't tell who she is, especially because in the credits, both in the official credits and uncredited, there are no women who are listed as agents. So either these are just uh, New Mexico background actors who just really didn't care and didn't bother putting themselves on there, or I don't know, maybe it's a crew person who's just, you know, filling in because they needed some more bodies. Um, we see a woman walking by putting a, 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 a box on there. And then another woman um, who's blonde with a bun, she walks past. And what's interesting about her is as we cross cut back and forth between Colson and uh, uh, Jane, we see this person walking uh, three times in consecutive shots, uh, you know, because they just didn't time it properly. And so it's as far as the script supervisor's job, it was like, 
wasn't quite lined up as well as it could have been in those three shots. Um, the fifth agent is the one who takes Jane's notebook. I think this is John Bailey. We have a little more face time with him. Um, that's my sense as to who that is. And then we have a sixth agent who walks up behind uh, Eric. This is Sean V. Scott. Very clear, easy to identify. That, and he's playing Agent Scott Kelly. And that's that's it for our agents here. And I have to say, I'm glad you read those because I have some sympathy for the uncredited folks. Um, anyone who as a dedicated Babysitter's Club fan might remember, you, I'm sure they don't, I don't either, but in one of the Babysitter's Club movies that was made in the 90s, you can see me as one of the kids dancing at a high school dance. Ooh. I have quite a nice moment where I ask a person to dance shyly, uh, but I'm not on IMDb. So, you know, let's let's give it up for those uh, un- unnamed extras who clearly help, uh, you know, capture the true spirit of the moment. Well, let me help you out and I can get you on IMDb. It's so much easier than people realize. <laughs> I don't think Babysitter's Club is what I want to be forever remembered by, but thank you. Yes, you do. Whatever, man. You should totally get <laughs> right? in there. So one thing I think is, is worth talking about, especially in terms of the structure of the movie, is we're later going to have a scene where we cut back to Asgard and see Loki and the Warriors 3 and Sif interacting. That was supposed to come right here. So we were supposed to have even more of a breakup of, you know, uh, starting the S.H.I.E.L.D. scene and then cut to Asgard and then cutting back. And I think this is, I was saying before, uh, during last week, uh, Matt, that after that incredibly emotional scene with Loki and Odin, I found it a little jarring jumping back to uh, New Mexico here. I'm really glad they didn't do that because I feel like if we were cutting again to there and then back to New Mexico just within this five minutes or so, I I think it would have been even more jarring. Yeah, I generally like think that the back and forth should be reserved for moments that really like evoke each other. And the, these this scene sort of giving us that sort of feeling like we're living in New Mexico for a minute feels nice. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, there was there was a lot of um, a lot more cutting back and forth in uh, between the two. And sometimes you when you're reading a script, it doesn't feel as uh, obvious as like the placement as when you're looking at it um, in a film. And if they tried, they like they might have tried putting that in between, like when they say goodbye to Thor down on the street of Puente, Puente Antiguo, and then they do this the next scene and then they come back to Puente Antiguo and then they realize you know, that is like a, a, a 30 second walk from where they were to where they uh, get to at the end of that scene. Why, why was it, would it take so long for that to happen? So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it just, it's one of those things where uh, you can tell that they probably spent time in the editing room, really trying to figure out the timing so that things felt more natural. And we will be talking about that scene and just uh, probably, I think tomorrow, definitely this week. Uh, but is there anything else about this minute that we want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, I just that it was quite a convoy that they have here, uh, you know, that uh, shield they have. I don't know, at least I think it was six vehicles that they have driving away here. I was very curious, though, all of these vehicles all clearly wanted to drive in this convoy. Why was there one truck that left <laughs> earlier? Like, you know, there's that one truck that we saw in the previous minute that that took off. And, and you know, I, it just that felt weird to me that we had this one truck that clearly just seemed like a plot device to get them to notice what was happening. <laughs> um, so. You know, again, I think you have not worked with government as much as I, because your idea that there is a rhyme and a reason to governmental organization, <laughs> governmental operations is not quite Colson level of naivete, but I think in that general direction. I think it's, I, I, I always notice when there's things like that that seem like, oh, why they do it that way? It's just for the shot. But the idea that the government isn't being as effect, efficient as it could be, 
I can always head cannon. That is reasonable. <laughs> I will also head cannon my own thing as a guy who loads gear constantly to travel. Uh, sometimes there's a reason to send one guy ahead. Like a gate has to be opened or set up. Like there's one thing that needs to get started sooner than the other thing, other than everything else. So like you send one guy ahead to start opening the gate or doing the thing or like setting up the stage so that when you all get there, everything's ready to go. Uh, play music for a living. So that's, we, we often have to like, we, we, after years of doing it, we figured out like, when we get to this point, you send the one guy there. And then when you get to this point, you send the one guy over there and like kind of just <laughs> staggering those things. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Um, the other thing that we do see is we get more product placement. We see the Burger King uh, billboard advertising the Whopper in this scene. It's a great shot of it. I can't remember if we talked about that in one of our earlier minutes, but uh, it has been there and definitely mm-hmm. stands out. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, folks. There's going to be so much we talk about in the next couple of minutes. But, Matt, I was joking earlier that, like, having you do your whole resume of all the great things you do in one minute is just not going to be possible. So each day I'm going to ask you to talk about a different part of the uh, Matt Carroll creations. Uh, we've heard about the MCU cast you do, but you obviously do a lot of other podcasting now, all part of the Stranded Panda Network. Talk a little about some of the other podcast stuff you do. Oh, yeah, man. Well, we do just kind of <laughs> started with the MCU cast and sort of just uh, expanded out from there. So we now have a show called Bingers Assemble, where we cover all of, uh, we cover movies that are new, like out in theaters, but we go through and watch all of the previous prequels in that series. That's a lot of fun. So we're doing the James Bond movies right now. Um, all the Daniel Craig Bond movies. We're not doing all 25 or whatever. Uh, and, uh, we've done, you know, all of the X-Men movies and all this is basically whenever something comes out in theaters, we try to watch all of its predecessors to sort of prepare uh, uh and then we also have one called panda vision uh which is um our stranded panda home for shows that don't fit into the universes that we cover like star trek and star wars and s- with the star wars universe podcast and i also have the star trek universe podcast and the marvel one like all of them sort of do their own thing but we have pandavision is where we just kind of like throw every it's, it's our junk drawer of podcasting <laughs> As it were. Yeah, that's, that's been a lot of fun. Matt and I did one on the TV show Orville, which is now over there. Yeah. Um, you can find their content on The Boys, on Umbrella Academy. Uh, I'm trying to, really trying to find someone to recruit someone to do Squid, Squid Game. Yeah. Because um, it's very much there. Yeah, just so much great podcasting. And then, Matt, I know also Twitch has now become a really big part of Stranded Panda. What What's happening on Stranded Panda Twitch? Oh, yeah. Uh, well... We always live stream the MCU cast, and sometimes when it's when it's relevant, we live stream other shows. Um, we're going to be live streaming The Boys when that comes out. We're going to be doing all of the uh, uh, the coverage for The Boys is on Pandavision, so we'll be we'll be live streaming. We we do live watches with an app called Scener, so we can all watch the show together, and then we go directly over and do our live podcast, so that people, the audience, can react in live t- in in real time and give you know their reactions so we can respond to their reactions and it just makes it more rich and fun so yeah it's it's really a great community resource i think it's been so helpful for the whole network and i'm so glad Super you, fun. you yeah, all do that twitch.tv slash stranded panda tv all that stuff is strandedpanda.com there's links to all of the podcasts all the music all the video everything we do awesome well yes yeah, so 
Definitely, if you're listening, check all that stuff out. That's I've mentioned before where you can find my other podcast, Superhero Ethics and Star Wars Universe podcast. And of course, also check out all the great things happening here on The Next Reel. Uh, nextreel.com, you can f- find all the different uh, family of podcasts that Andy and Pete help run, uh, covering so many different things about movies from so many different perspectives. So please check all that out. And of course, please give us your feedback. Let us know what you think about this minute and all the other minutes we talk about. And the most important thing I'll ask you to do today and every day is have a good day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 